0: Hey guys, welcome to 514 Church, and of course we are excited. Our high school kids are back from a treat. We're glad you guys are here. We're thankful for everyone who's watching online and everybody who's here today. We're going to close out this valuable series, and one of the things that has struck me over the past couple years is there is truly in this world a disparity in the value of people from other people's perspective. Like people still walk around and think that certain people don't matter and that certain people do and that some people are important and some people aren't. And there is simply just a sickness in our world where we, whether we articulate it or describe it well or, or not, we, we look at people and, and we think like they, they lack value. And there's there's this idea that I want to... Give to this church today so that if you're new to your faith, that you go, this is what value um, value's really all about. And then if you've grown up in the church, that you go, okay, th- that helps me see it clearer because even those of us that have grown up in the church have somehow missed the value in the intrinsic value of human life at times. Where we might look at someone and say, because of what they've done, they don't matter, or because of where they are, they don't matter. Um, I started this series off talking about um, a wonderful man who goes to our church who um, had lapsed back into drug use and addiction, and he turned himself, and he put himself into a a facility, a rehabilitation facility. And when I heard that he was in this facility, I went to visit him. This was on New Year's Day, and I went to visit him not to um, give him value. Not to to, um, create his value. I went because he is valuable. Because I didn't see that because of his past or because of his mistakes or because of his addictions that there was any disparity in him as a human being. And there, in fact, is a prevailing idea still. In, in, in people's hearts and minds that, man, if they're at that level, if they're in prison or they're in rehab or they're at this place, like they, they lack value. And there are some people that don't know they're valuable. There are some people out there that, that literally just don't believe they're valuable so they won't show value to other people because who am I if I'm not valuable? And then there are some people that are like what I'm talking about who won't go and love someone um, because they don't think they're valuable. And once it's like they get to that state, it's, oh, no. And there's this idea that we live in a world where there's different values of people, and then when you move that into the Christian world, into this, this thing we call following Jesus and developing our faith, then there still seems to be some like miscommunication about how valuable we are to God. And it's, it's crazy to me, and it's personified by a phrase, that if you grew up in the church, you've heard, you've heard this phrase. You, you, you've heard this said, and if you grew up in the church, you probably said this. And if you didn't grow up in the church, this might be new for you, and what it's, uh, I'm about to show you is, in fact, true. But there's something that's happened with this phrase that uh, puts emphasis on the wrong part, and really the meaning of it has gotten misconstrued and really messed up value in, in the body of Christ, in the follower's of Christ. Now, if you grew up in the church, you're going to know this phrase, and you're going to finish it with me. Uh, this is it. It says this. It says, I'm just a sinner saved by, right. We grew up, and if you didn't grow up in the church, this is something we say. You know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And that's true. We are sinners. Uh, followers of Christ are sinners. Uh, the scriptures teach that sin is not just things we do, but it's who we are, that there is sin in our members, in our body, in our DNA, and, and that because of that, there's separation from God for eternity. And then sin is what we do. It's things we do that represent um, kind of moving away from God's ultimate plan for our life, and it's, it's missing the mark, the Bible says. And therefore, we are sinners. But this phrase, I'm just a sinner, saved by grace what it does is it doesn't just stop there it evolves and it turns into this idea that because we're sinners we lack value that sin is this thing that has wrapped us up and therefore we have nothing really great in and of ourselves to offer the world and even growing up, I remember this idea in the church, like if I would ever do something that was helpful or good or something positive in a, in a church kind of community or setting, that there were people that would walk up to me, like I call them the humble police. They walk around and make sure that I'm not being you know, too prideful. And if I did something, like if I spoke something or if I sang something or played something or even helped someone, people would walk up to me and say, you know, that's not you. You know, you're, you're nothing. And that's what this phrase can turn into. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Translated in the Christian community oftentimes, you're really nothing. God is everything and you are nothing. You're just a sinner. I.e., that is who you are. You are a sinner saved by grace. You're just a mess of a person. And God, just for some God, reason came around and decided to give you his salvation but you are a heaping pile of nothingness carrying around a, a fragrant flower and the only thing good that you are is just that flower because you're just a sinner saved by grace you're just a sinner, man. You're a sinner. You're just a sinner. You sin all the time and sinful and talk. And blah, blah, blah. You're nothing. You're nothing. This could not be more inaccurate, more wrong. And what it's done is it's permeated humanity. It's, it's, it's permeated the Christian church. It's permeated the way we see each other and see ourselves because we have this Misappropriation of the value of human life and what sinners are and how God pieced this whole thing together. We do this because we're sinners. We look at people and we debase them. To so you are just a nothing, because you're a sinner. You see, the thing about grace and we know this, we've learned this, we grow up, you learn what the definition of grace is, right? Grace is an undeserved gift. Uh, Put it this way, grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy, right, kind of the other side of the same coin. Mercy, not getting what you do deserve. Grace, getting what you don't deserve. The thing about grace is we don't deserve the grace of God, and we can't attain the grace of God. Okay? We don't deserve it because we actually have broken the rules. You see, grace is undeserved and unattainable by ourselves. It is. We are sinners who broke rules. And when we break rules, we, we kind of like, oh, you did it. You're, you're guilty. You, you don't deserve because you've turned your back. You don't deserve it. You broke the rule. Or the Bible says that when we sin, it caused Death. So grace is not only something we don't deserve because we actually broke the law. We broke it in our heart. We broke it in our behaviors. We broke it in our creative nature after one man fell, all fell. We we don't deserve the grace of God. We didn't do anything to deserve it. We've only done things that really make us not deserve it. That's the idea of grace. But also the Bible says that once you were born and then you lived this thing out at all, it says that you're dead in your trespasses and sins. So the Bible says about grace, you don't deserve it because you sin and you keep sinning. You haven't earned it because if you earned it, it you'd be perfect. And then it also says, you can't, you're dead. How can a dead man sit in a grave and dig himself out? He can't, he's dead. But that says nothing about your value. That is a commentary on the consequences and the condition of sin. You see, you and I are locked up in sin. And God doesn't look at us and go, oh, you are just nothing. You're just this heap of sinful stone. You're just a sinner, this is all you are. No, no, God looks at you and goes, oh, look what you are. Look how beautiful you are. Look what I made you for. Look what you're designed for. You got trapped in the stone, in the weight, in the death of sin. I got to free you. You don't deserve it, but I love you. And you're incapable, so I'll do it for you. You see, there's a misunderstanding. God didn't come and save you. And then when he saved you, you become important. God didn't save you to make you valuable. He saved you because you are. He went, oh, my creation, look how I made it. It has purpose. It has beauty. It has goodness. It has opportunity. It's going to do great things. Then sin came along, oh, it's a rat, it's a stone, it's a weight, it's hurting them, it's taking away my original design. They don't deserve it, but I love them. They can't do it, so I will save them. The the king of kings, only the king can save us. Only the king can pull this tool from the sheath and actually bring it back into new life. But does that say anything about purpose other than you have tons Let me let me put it this way. Our sin and death made us undeserving and incapable of saving ourselves. That's what sin does. It shows us that we're dirty. It shows us we don't deserve it. It shows us that we did break the law. And then it kills us, which makes us incapable. But God's design makes us invaluable and worth saving. He looks at us and goes, my creation, my design, I started out with this purpose for you to do good things. Everyone in here, look at your hands. Look at them, just go like this. Look at them. God made you that way. Do you know that God made those hands? He made them in the first human. They were there. They were there from day one before sin. The design was there. And then our design got trapped in sin. And it killed us. And we deserved it. But God said, I'm not going to leave you there. You have purpose. Every person in this room has eternal purpose. And it is obvious through the way you were designed. God looks at us and goes, this can do so much. There's so much to this. I made this with a purpose. I made this to put on the end of a rifle and stab it into the enemy in World War I. Just kidding, I made you. I made you. I designed you. I put you together. I had a purpose when I made you. I I crafted you. You have intrinsic value just in your birth. And so, I don't want you to get caught up in this. You see, it salvation is beautiful. That's what that is, to be removed from the sin. You couldn't do it yourself. You don't deserve it. You couldn't you're incapable of doing it. But it, The reason that God did it is because he loves you and he thinks you're valuable and you have a purpose. And so God, when he saved you, he didn't just save you. He he saved you for something big, not just from something bad. You see, sin means death and death means eternal separation. And yes, God came and freed you from that. But he didn't just free you from something. He freed you for something. Salvation is inauguration. It's the beginning, it's step one. It's just like students, one day you will all graduate. Graduation, that is not the end. That is the beginning of what? Your life, demonstration of all that God did for you. Your salvation is inauguration and it's supposed to move into demonstration. You guys, God did not just save you to make you valuable. He went on a rescue mission into the prison of your life because you are. No one goes to have a baby at the hospital and then has the baby. There it is. The baby's born. It's beautiful. It has all this hope. And then go, mom and dad go, Figure it out. Have fun. You were born. This is it. Lay here and see what you can do. No. Parents take babies home because there's more. There's a future. There's a life. There's a purpose. There's something for you to do. If you're a kid, they put an OSU hat beanie on because that means maybe. Maybe it's going to be really big. Do you understand the heart of that? Putting an OSU beanie on a baby is parental vision. I'm not, I'm not actually joking. <laughs> they go, this is the beginning. What if? What if? What if they could go and do? What if they could go and be? What if they could understand who they really are? They get put into a room that's painted with the colors. They get put horses in front of them or, you know, the four horsemen in front of them or something. To make them see that this is the inauguration. But we've got more to go and do. This is the heart of this series, valuable. You have to see yourself the way God sees you. And God didn't save you just because, oh, you're just a pitiful, sinful, broken nothingness. Take my flower and spread the aroma. He said, you are the aroma. You have something to do. Look at your hands. Look at your feet. They're supposed to take you somewhere. Look at your eyes. They're supposed to see things. Look at your mouth. It's supposed to say something, and it's supposed to do something beautiful. God didn't save you to make you valuable. He saved you because you are. He saved you because you are. Believe that today. In the book of Ephesians. So I'm going to take a minute and talk about the book of Ephesians. If you didn't grow up in the church, you don't know what that is. There's a man named Paul who wrote 13 letters that ended up in a Bible, a book of books is what that means. We call it the Bible to scare everyone away. It's just a book of books. Okay, And one of those books is a book called Ephesians, which was a letter written by a real person in the first century to a group of humans that lived in a place called Ephesus. And in that book, Paul does six chapters, or he does two halves. He starts off for three chapters saying, you are God's prize. He loves you. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. You're wonderful. You're beautiful. God blessed you. And then chapter 456 he says now because of who you are go and do this and he starts unpacking how to speak and how to be married and how to serve and how to be obedient all because of you've been seated in the heavenly places basically when god sees you he sees his son he sees his his blood know it you have been anointed now when you get saved into the family of god now show it know it show it Believe it, live it, that's the book of Ephesians. One of the things we miss in the local church is something masterful about what this author does in Ephesians chapter two. In the part where he's simply talking about knowing who you are in Christ, he sandwiches the most famous verse about grace next to showing it before he gets to the broader part where he's gonna unpack that holistically. And it's right next to a passage that we all in the church, if we grew up in the church, we know this passage. It's Ephesians chapter 2. It's the quintessential passage of scripture that talks about our salvation and how it's by grace. But I want you to see what Paul does with this great salvation and what he puts right next to it. This is the passage, Ephesians chapter 2. For it is by grace you have been saved. We have to understand we're all saved by grace. We didn't deserve it. We're incapable of getting it. Grace, the undeserved gift. You're saved when you, through faith, through your belief, not through your activity. It's a gift from God, not of yourselves. When you place belief in the grace. When you place your belief in what God does demonstrated for you on the cross. When you place your faith in what he did, not what you did, you place your faith. He says, faith is the doorway you have to step through. You only step through that doorway into salvation by belief in your heart. And once you step through the threshold, these boots are made for walking. It's time to go, then you become alive and you start to do things, you couldn't do things to get there, God did things to get you there, and once he got you there, he wants you to go somewhere. That's the Christian life. You have to know, he built the bridge, he built the threshold, you just believe. Arms behind your back, legs tied together, simple belief. You know this by the way you go to sleep at night, if you are saved. Some of you in here are wrestling, do I have to do something? Do I have to say something? Do I have to go somewhere? Joel said, he died for me. You're wrestling. Paul says he was working out his salvation with fear and trembling. If you're doing that, that's good. Sweat it out. What God is doing is teasing you. He's taking apart. He is, he is um, there's a word I'm looking for, parsing you. He's parsing the part about you that thinks you have to do something from the part that relies on what Jesus did. And you're wrestling and you're sweating. And then some of you in here are going, dude, I'm doing good, man. I do lots of things for God. Woe to you, my friends. You are in trouble. You didn't didn't do anything for God. Okay? He doesn't love you because you did something. You, You need to just embrace what he did. But he gives it to you on, a, on, on this idea that you're so worth it. <laughs> you're so valuable. So we know that we understand this by the way we go to sleep at night. Where's your anxiety? Where's your rest? Where's your peace? Look what he goes on and he says, not by work so that no one can boast. He levels the playing field. He says, you know, you don't get to parade around and act like there's different hierarchies in this salvation deal. What Jesus did on the cross is glorified. It is the final word. It is the final death, burial, and resurrection. We glorify that. It's our gift. All of us need it. All of us are in trouble. All of us get it by faith. You don't get to boast in how you get through the door. And then he says this, he sandwiches this salvation piece, this piece that is so fundamental that I just am dead in my trespasses and sins. I don't deserve salvation. It's unattainable by my own works. And then he says this, for we are God's handiwork. Which means God is working in your life. Which means God has designed you. This word, handiwork, in the original language is the same Greek word for the word poem. What Paul is saying is that God has written you as a beautiful poem, and he's starting out your story and you are beautiful and valuable and you're created in the image of god and you couldn't have more purpose to have dominion over the earth to cultivate goodness in the lives of people around you you couldn't have more purpose then sin locked you up but then god comes along and goes oh i'm a creator i made you i'll remake you and send you back off to do the thing we started out to do you And I are God's poem. You're not just a letter. You're not just a note. You're not a dissertation. You're God's most intentional written piece. Something that gets written in our minds when our hearts go to places of love. That's what you are. The the beginning of this series talked about we are who God says we are, and then we talked about how words create worlds because God's word created the world. Our words matter. You are his spoken beauty. You're his poem, and he writes and weaves you. You were made this way, and oh, we got in trouble, and here's what you're supposed to go do, so I'll fix it. So he created you, and then he recreated you in Christ Jesus. He recreated you in Christ Jesus. What this means is, you got in trouble, and so he delivered you, and in Christ, the two of you are seen as one and purposeful and good. You're created in Christ Jesus when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. He looks upon you and says, this is my son, this is my daughter, whom I'm well pleased. So now you're recreated, you're his poem that has a dark middle section. And then he weaves back in beauty and life and and future. And why? Why are you his handiwork? Why did he save you by grace? Because you're so valuable for what? What was the original design? You had hands, you had feet before you sinned. You had abilities, you had a mind, you had strength before you sinned. So you were dead in your trespasses and sin. And then God, through grace, undeserving, unattainable by our own works, he lifts you up and puts you into a relationship with him. Why? To do good works. To do good things. God has saved you so you can go and save. To do greatness. To go and do wonderful things that He intentionally designed you at the onset. And this is the beautiful part. Look at what he says, "Which God prepared in advance for us to do? What does that mean? Is that He has placed for you great things to do as a result of your salvation. He's been planning on it. You have a purpose being prepared, some works being prepared in advance for you and me to do is, man, this salvation, this is graduation. Now I got great plans for you. This birth, this is your birth, but I got great plans for you. You're gonna go and you're gonna be a linebacker, whatever. God says, you're gonna go. And in this, this, this passage, the language is that you as a follower of Christ will, every step you take, Bring goodness to people. That was the original design. That was the original design. Salvation is amazing. But this sinner saved by grace idea puts a heavy emphasis on salvation and sin, and it lacks purpose. It lacks purpose. So, it's not untrue when we say we're sinners saved by grace, it's just we need to keep saying something else. We're sinners saved by grace with great purpose. Don't don't be the people that ever buy into anything else. You see, God did not just save you so that your salvation becomes his trophy on the wall. Look who I saved, look who I saved, look who I got. I saved them from the miry pit. I saved them from the flames. I saved them from themselves. No, 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 no. God didn't just save you from something. God saved you for something. He saved you for something, something big, man, something beautiful, something those hands, those eyes, those ears, that mouth, those feet, your strength, something that he designed you to do. He didn't just say, look, I got him, he said look at him, go, look at him, go. And then here's the part of this message that for all of us will change our lives because when we hear this message and we know that we're designed for something, not just saved from something, we wanna know, every one of us in here, what is it? What is it? What do I do? Show me what to do. And there's a lot of things that you can do, there's a lot of things you can attempt, there's a lot of things that you can do, but there's a thread, there's a theme that runs through every single thing you were purposed for at the onset. And it can show up in every venue, it can show up in every vocation. Your purpose, when it is displayed the way that God wanted you to understand it and display it, can show up anywhere and everywhere. This means no matter what your job is, no matter where you live, no matter what family you're in, God did not exclude you from purpose. Because what Jesus did on the cross is he didn't just save you, he taught you, he showed you. Jesus on the cross is school. He's going, look, see what I just did? Do you see what I just did? Being in the very form of God, I have not considered equality with God a thing to be grasped. I have emptied myself, the scriptures say, taking on the form of a bond servant. When Jesus died on the cross, he rose from the dead and that grace is in fact your model, it's your mission. God saved you and he saved your life by grace so you could go live a life of grace. You see, the greatest part of your future will be you figuring out what Jesus did in your past and doing it again for someone else. So, your job is to bring undeserved, unattainable love into someone's life. Because that's what Jesus did for me. Isn't that amazing? He saved you and taught you how to save. He saved you and taught you how to live. He saved you and taught you where to go. He saved you and taught you what to do. Not there, right here, and take other people with you. God saved you for a life of grace so that you would be a messenger, that you would be an advocate of grace, that whenever people would see you doing what you do, they'd go, what? I don't deserve that, and I couldn't do that. But they did it for me. It's the greatest story ever told. And the purpose of the greatest story ever told is that it never stops being told and that you become the teller and the liver and the beer. I just made up a word. Grace is what formed you. We have life and breath just because God decided to give us something. Grace is what freed you. Grace is what freed you, undeserving, unattainable salvation. Grace is what you're for. You and me are designed by our heavenly father now to be strategic instruments of grace. To bring life. The greatest thing you'll ever do comes from the grace that God gave you. God's greatest moment in your life was setting you free so that you could go into people's lives and in so many words, set them free. Go bring something to someone. Go bring it to them, help them, love them. One of the things that's happened in the Christian world is we've got this whole thing mixed up, we got it all backwards. We get into this this relationship with God and we think it's a list of rules when actually it's not a list of rules. It's an anointed purpose for your life. God doesn't want you to follow him around and obey the rules. That's not what he wants. He wants you to run out into the frontier and bring grace to people. Do it however you can. He doesn't want you to just check off boxes he wants you to break down paradigms he wants you to reach people that are suffering he wants you to help people he wants you to be a good husband and be a good father and be a good teacher and be a good business leader and do it with the markings of grace the grace you learned when you went to school on salvation day and spend the rest of your life working that out what this means is that grace and the way we're supposed to live this thing out should feel and look different A couple of thoughts on the way this should feel. It needs to be motivated by grace, your good works, and not guilt. Why are we walking around doing good things? Because we think God is mad at us. He was mad at you when you got into trouble. He loves you, so he got you out. Don't be motivated by, oh, woe is me. Oh, I have to, oh. Think about what he did for you. And do it. Look for an opportunity. This is, this is another thing about this whole idea. Of you're saved, you know, for something, not just from something. It's more about growing fruit than pulling weeds. Your job as a follower of Christ is not to be a police officer for wrongdoing. It's not our job to walk around and go, you shouldn't do that, and you shouldn't do that, and you shouldn't do that. Because really what that means is I'm going to do some of that, but you're not. I mean, that's the heart of it. It's this, this a bigger commentary. But the point is, go build. Go invest. Bring goodness. Empty yourself. Live out what you learned on the cross. Live it out, man. Live this thing out. Go and be a speaker of goodness into someone's mind and heart and world. Go and lift someone out of, of brokenness. Go and do this. It's just a little bit of a, maybe a little confrontational the way I'm putting it here. This is more about being helpful than holy. You see, holiness is this idea of different, pure. God's design is for you to be different and pure by bringing grace to people because that is different and pure. Not separate. Not us and them. Jesus spent time around the broken, the the lost, the blind, the sinners. What is holy about that? His presence with the broken. Because it's helpful. It's different. Stop viewing yourself as a separatist if you're a follower of Christ. You're supposed to be ingrained in culture bringing grace to people. Because being helpful is holy. When you start to bring grace to people, they'll go, what are you doing? Holy moly, why are you treating me good? Why are you nice to me? Kids, I don't know what you learned this weekend. I'm sure it was great. Go home today and do something fascinatingly beautiful for your parents. Intentional do it you will blow their mind I promise parents go to someone your kids go to them and love them for no other reason than just who they are you ever give your kid a piece of candy when they don't deserve it yes you have you ever help them get something down off the shelf because they can not attain it yes you have Holiness is personified by the grace you give, not the rules you keep. And this is the last and final. It's more about showing other people their value than proving yours. You see, the follower of Christ lives with a confidence that knows I am created with purpose. And I am not doing things to make myself feel valuable. I'm doing these things because I am. I'm doing these things because I am. And if you start to do things, listen to this. This is so critical. If you start to do things that you think God wants you to do because you think it will make him love you more, back up. Back up. Learn how he loves you. Find the security. Know your value and then show it. He didn't save you to make you valuable. He saved you because you are. Everyone in this room is designed by God to do great things. The man that I went to visit in rehab, when I sat with him, he looked at me and he said, I can't wait to get out of here. I can't wait to get out of here. And he started to list off not just the freedom that he would have when he got out, but the things that he would do, the people he would love, his children whom he had to take care of, his job that he wanted to do better. He started to think about the purpose of rehab. The purpose of our rehab on the cross is so that you and me can be mobile rehab for everybody else. Because he loves you. He gave it to you before you even knew him. He had a purpose plan for you. So I want everyone to stand up and we're going to end this series together and we're going to pray some big, bold prayers together. Let's just pray for a second. Father, I just ask that every person in this room would find it today some type of insight, some type of revelation in them that they know that they were created in the image of God To do great things that you prepared beforehand for them to do. And that your grace proves their value. It shows it. That they are loved at a soul level. That their heart and their mind and their their thoughts and their lives and their decisions and who they are is just so unequivocally beautiful to you. That they're made in your image and you're a creator and they should be too. They should go live and be and create and bring grace. I pray for every student in here that the dominant voice in their head is not their friends, it's not their likes, it is you and you alone. I pray for anyone in here right now that is suffering because things have been said and done to them that have chipped away at their value that they would right now lean on you like never before, that they would know they are loved for who they are, not for what they do. I pray for someone who's watching online right now that is just battling through this valuable lesson. I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would move into their space right now, give them the peace to know who they are, that you, God, you're our hero, You saved us because we matter, not to make us matter. And Father, we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus, who had this beautiful moment that took us to school, and help us to do good by it. In Jesus' name, amen.